You are listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. Let's go ahead and pray. Uh, dear Jesus, Lord, you know what we need out of the service. So, God, I just pray, uh, Lord, no matter where we're at in our heart, in our mind, Lord, that uh, you'll meet us there, God, that you'll bring the change that needs to come. But, Lord, you'll also bring healing where there needs to be healing. And, God, just uh, use your word to work in our hearts. And we pray this all in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, y'all stay, remain standing for just a second. We're going to go ahead and read, and then we're going to jump right in. We're back in 1 Corinthians. Oh, wait, Children's Church. Yeah, they're leaving. Let them go. Grades 1 through 6. 1 through 6. Go on out. It's a lot more fun out there than it is in here. Okay, all of them on there. Oh, so cute. Their little backpacks. Okay, so we're going to be 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1. We're going to read 1 through 11 again. This is part 2 to our message last week, so we're going to jump right in. This week I'm going to be reading out of the NASB, so there will be some slight changes. All right, verse 1. Does any one of you, when he has a case against his neighbor dare to go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? If the world is judged by you, are you not competent to constitute the smallest law courts? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more matters of this life? So if you have law courts dealing with matters of this life, do you appoint them as judges who are of no account in the church? Verse 5. I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not among you one wise man who will, not, who will be able to decide between his brethren? But brother goes to law with brother, and that before unbelievers? Actually, then, it is already a defeat for you, that you have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? On the contrary, you yourselves wrong and defraud. You do this even to your brethren. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you, God, that we have been in each of these categories, Lord. All these categories, they embody the church, Lord. Before we met you, God, we had done all sorts of sin. And Lord, if we listed that whole list off, God, all of us would probably raise our hand to one of them. But God, you purify us, you sanctify us, you save us, God, and it's your work. And so, Lord, I just pray now that you'll bless the reading of your word. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so we're going to do a quick recap. Oh, you can be seated. Thank you. You guys are so, so obedient. Um, quick recap from last week, because some of you weren't here. Um, I'm assuming that the Russells watched online. Jalen live texted me, but I didn't get it till like an hour later. So, um, One of the things to talk about with 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the first thing that we did was we differentiated between the types of law that we're discussing. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, what Paul's talking about with the church in Corinth, is not criminal law. And so when we 
got started last week, we talked about, you know, not all of us have been dragged into court, but all of us have been a part of relationships that have gone south, that there's been disagreement or disputes in. And so we may not have been dragged into court, but we've had that happen. So we have some, we have, we shared experience there. If you were dragged into court by a police officer, that's a whole other situation. It's not 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It's what we call criminal law, and that's Romans 13. Um, Romans 13, uh, Paul says there that God pretty much, God establishes the government, he establishes the courts, and that ultimately if you were to violate that government, the law of that government, that it doesn't bear the sword in vain, that it can punish you, it can discipline you, uh, because God set the government up. That's criminal law. And so 1 Corinthians, civil law, disputes, disagreements. Um, Romans 13, criminal law. The idea is that the church deals with sin that isn't a crime, and the courts deal with sin that is a crime. So we said last week, if somebody's breaking into your house, don't call Mandel. Well, we said don't Willie, but Mandel's here this week, and Willie's over there. Now listen, I would rather call Mandel because he's huge, and like we said, if you're in Jackson, Mandel's getting there faster than JPD. But due to no fault of their own, maybe, I don't know. Criminal, civil, this is civil law. 1 Corinthians does not bring any shame or judgment for a Christian that's a victim of a crime that seeks the government to protect them. So we've seen a lot of problems happen in the church where the church said, we're going to handle this internally, but it was a, it was a crime. And so they go in like, we're gonna, the church was not built to have that happen, to adjudicate or prosecute somebody that is a, that's a criminal. And so one of the biggest mistakes that churches and ministries have made is that they said they're going to handle something internally that God never gave them that judgment to do. That's the government. I mean, in a best-case scenario with the Catholic Church, you could argue, if I was going to be their attorney, which I wasn't, I'm not, that they were trying to handle something in-house that was supposed to take place in the court, that they were trying to handle or protect or work with their priests to rehab them, practice church discipline, whatever, but they're totally outside of Scripture there, and it didn't give them that right to do it. Instead, what they did was they enabled somebody, many, to be repeat offenders and hurt a lot of different people and really discredit the church in the process. So 1 Corinthians 6 is all civil, not criminal. The next thing that we did was we talked about the origin of the lawsuit. It's the dispute. And so the disputes that arise in the church, what happens when people disagree? And, and like I said last week, and it was our controversial statement of the week was, that curtains and carpet have separated more Christians than theology and doctrine. Like, more churches have divided over goofy stuff than, like, the real important stuff. And when the heart of the Christian's not right, and it wants its way, um, then we see these disputes rise up between believers. And so I got to bring back tales from Southside's past. Like, um, whenever they first wanted to introduce the first projector to the church, um, we were all riding around on horses, and there was a dinosaur grazing in the back. But we decided they wanted to move forward with a projector. Or projector. And whenever they did that, they present this, this option in a business meeting. And it was back when business meetings were pretty packed, and there were a lot of strong opinions there. But everybody in the room agreed that they wanted a projector, except for one person who didn't want the projector. She wanted to spend the money on tightening the wrinkles out of the, car the carpet in the church which is okay, she can have that view, and that's why we have the vote. 
The problem was is that while these poor souls were presenting the option before the business meeting, she over the top obnoxiously shook her head no the whole time they were talking and throughout the vote. Just sitting there, no, no, no. And what happens afterwards was there was tension and distance in this relationship, even with her brothers and sisters that are her age, her peers in this church, who voted a different way. Dissension arose in the body, talking about wrinkles in the carpet. And if I were to tell you, like, eventually you're going to leave this church, and it's going to be about wrinkles on the carpet, you probably wouldn't believe that, but these small things turn into big things because we can't seem to let them go. Another one was the Sunday school class where they had tables in there, and the tables were in such a way that it really only accommodated those that came every Sunday. So if you had another visitor, the visitor had to sit on the wall outside of the tabled circle, or somebody got up from the table so the visitor could sit at the table. It just made for a lot of awkward exchanges in what's already an awkward situation with Sunday school. I don't know if anybody's been to a new Sunday school class in recent weeks, months, years. It's awkward when you go sit face-to-face with strangers you don't know. And so probably Irene Hughes at the time was Sunday school director and thought, we need to get the tables out of there. Um, Irene was like this... Uh, strong personality. She, when she thought something needed to be done, it needed to be done. She goes to pull the tables out and meets resistance. And this is where this great philosophical quote came from, from last week, where somebody looked at that church leader and said, no tables, no class. Which meant that if you took the tables away, the class wasn't going to happen anymore. Um, and I'll give you a fictional update to that story. Eventually, that person left the church. They took the table with them them and the table, they got an apartment outside of town, and they've raised three beautiful chairs together. I know you're thinking, what does that even mean? I don't know. It was a nonsensical joke. Um, But these little things like tables and wrinkles on the carpet turn into big things, and if you could see the way the lawsuits happen, typically if we were to follow the facts of the lawsuit all the way back to the origin, it would happen in one moment with a pretty arbitrary thing that happens, and it just goes from there. And we talked about the disgruntled nature that can come up in a Christian where you see the check stub of somebody else at your workplace and that affects how you feel from that day on. You felt content before. You felt satisfied in your work. You enjoyed those that you worked with. But once you saw that check stub, it's over and now you're disgruntled. And then you've got 180 days to file the EEOC if you've got a federal claim. (laughs) Um, These small things turn into big things and but it all comes down to the disgruntled heart, heart of the Christian, where we aren't satisfied, we aren't content, and now it's changed the way we perceive all these other people and interactions that we have. And so if the Christian's heart isn't right, it changes the way that we interact with others. If we want to look more deeply at that, we can look at James 4. So let's just turn there really quickly, because I feel like I needed to back this up with Scripture. And James, Jesus is going to do it through James for us in James 4. James chapter 4, verse 1. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is it not the source, is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Verse 4. 
You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to the, no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. Verse 6. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will, not, and he will exalt you. Verse 11, we're hanging in there. I know your ADHD is kicking in back here. Verse 11, do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you who judge your neighbor? Once again, we go back to all these little things that turn into big things, and they start with stuff that's inside of us. So the check stub puts inside of us this, like, jealousy. I wanted this for me, right? Um, and... And we see over and over again that it can tear up our relationships. And so what, Paul, what James says here is, humble yourself, submit to God, resist the devil. All of these are things that we would think need to be said to a murderer, but he's saying it to a gossip. These are things that we, think would be, we would think need to be said to a criminal, but these are things that he's saying to sinners, like all of us in this room. Submit to God, resist the devil humble yourself. Don't speak about a brother. Don't speak against a brother. And what we said last week was this disgruntled heart in us raises up where we just, you find yourself and you're just this negative Nancy. Like, I don't like that they do that. I don't like that they do that. I don't like that. I don't like his mustache. I don't like her ponytail. I don't like that painting color they chose to paint that Sunday school room with. And it ends up being, it's a heart issue. And what God wants you to do is submit to God. Resist the devil. Humble yourself. It doesn't always have to go our way. Now, just to give you a real-world trans... I'm going to be transparent with you. When they change these chairs around, <laughs> the devil got to work in my heart. Because I found myself being like, I feel like that's too much of an angle. And the center of the aisle is just off right here. And I didn't want to sit that close to Eric Rogers. <laughs> um, I like my kids sitting on the back wall. Now I got to look at them and get onto them. And you find yourself wanting to be negative and like condemning, but then it's like, wait, these are just chairs. It's just carpet. It's just paint. It's just the parking spot, whatever. Somebody took my pew. I'll get over it. Um, and in that case, they literally took my pew. So all of these things, uh, they, they start small, they get bigger, and I think what we see is that there's a spiritual influence in every single one of them. And that's what we need to remember in all of our relationships, and especially in the relationships within the church. Am I mad about chairs, or is there some outside spiritual influence that wants me to be mad about chairs? And we talked about last week, if you're married, you know that you can argue about the dumbest of things. Like, if you're married, you know that the dumbest topic can actually be a deal breaker, where you're like, I'm going to get a divorce if you don't start getting a shower at night and waking me up in the morning. 
Um, so little things become big things. The other question was, why is the church involved? So Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 says, you should be able to go to the church. Isn't there just one wise person among you? That's, he's laying the sarcasm thick. Like, there's not one wise man among you that you could go to and ask for this solution or ask for them to be a mediator between you. You choose to go to the court system of the day. And what we said was that I gave what I thought were two good reasons why we don't see people go to the church. The idea being that you could go to church leadership and you could say, here's our problem. We disagree. Help us figure out how to fix this. And the church would be able to say, you need to do this and you need to do this. And they would bring resolution. Number one reason why I think that doesn't happen is sinful pride and a, a poor valuing of the church. And so the sinful pride meaning that I think I can judge better than anybody in that church is going to be able to tell me. I know better than anybody at that church is going to know. The only one that could even get past my knowledge has got to be if you're, if you're going to justice court, somebody with a GED. I mean, they don't have to have a law degree or anything in justice court. The only one that's going to be able to surpass my knowledge is somebody that's been proven as a judge and can handle it. Um, so you don't value the church, you don't value the church leaders, and really I think it's a reflection of just sinful pride. You believe in yourself more than you do anybody at the church. Two, sinful motives. You want a sinful result, you want a secular result, so you go through the secular channel to get it. So if I know I'm not going to be able to get the award I want, or the conclusion, the solution that I want, then I'm going to go to the court so I can just advocate as strongly as possible and see what happens. Where the church isn't going to, maybe they're going to follow the biblical model and it's going to be more fair judgment, which is not what you want. Ultimately, it all came back to our heart, where we are, and we had this chance to be able to reflect and say, God, is there stuff in me? Is there disgruntled discontent? Is there a disgruntled discontent spirit in me? that's making me want to fight everybody or making me want to argue about stupid stuff or make it primary. Because what the, what the enemy wants, y'all, is that Marge doesn't remember taking the grandkids to the cross and praying. What she remembers is that one of those kids at the church didn't say thank you, right? And she hangs on to that and forgets the more important piece of like a legacy of spiritual heritage, like you're bringing people to Jesus. And so for us, it's so easy. The thing that we end up leaving over was worthless compared to the things that we gained from being in community and walking with brothers and sisters. All right, so we discussed the legal system of the day, and last week we talked about it was kind of a public system, meaning there was no court TV, but this was the best TV. Imagine if you could, in an urban center like Corinth or Athens, be able to walk up and see a legal proceeding going on. One of the biggest disappointments in actually practicing law is how few people are in the courtroom. <laughs> it's usually just the attorneys and the parties. Like you get there and, or a reporter like Therese. Um, you always see in the movies, it's just a packed courtroom. They're much smaller and there's never anybody there. And then I got licensed right as COVID was in effect. So there was nobody there. Um, but one of the things that we see in the legal system in that day, and we don't have documents for Corinth. We only have documented legal practices of Athens up the road. So we're going to assume that some of that stuff bled over, but it may not be a mirror image. We know that there were public hearings, there were public interactions there in the legal system, but what they did was they had 
a public arbitrator, and they would give a public arbitrator to each side in a dispute. So it'd be like our public defenders, the government gives you a right to counsel. If you're ever arrested, you have the right to remain silent. I know for whatever reason, those warnings go over, like you don't think about them, but remember when you're arrested, you have the right to remain silent. It's a right you should exercise. And you have the right to counsel. And those are extremely protected by our system of justice. Use them. That side note's over. You have, back in the day, they had public arbitrators. Each side was given a public arbitrator to help mediate the disagreement. If they couldn't come to an agreement, then eventually it could, they would bring in a magistrate who would go in and help adjudicate the case. The, ju the jury sizes back then, on the smaller end, were 201 jurors. On the larger end were 6,001 jurors. Uh, one of the big challenges in the court system, and the reason that whenever you get ready to take a case, you have to tell somebody, hey, I know it looks like a sure thing, but we could lose. Like, you could lose. Um, and it's why you may want to settle. Like, you give them that talk, because jurors are so unpredictable. And there's also this dynamic in, with the jury, think about it, whenever you're talking, you want them to be thinking about these points that help them decide the case for you, um, and you don't want them to think about what the other side says, so there's really calculated trial practice where if like if there's a really good witness for the other side and you see two, two jurors are falling asleep, you don't object to anything. You just let them stay asleep. You need them to remain quiet and stay asleep. I can't imagine with a jury of 6,000, it's like, hey, you back there, um, and trying to get their attention to you. So it just totally changes trial practice. But people love suing each other in Athens. They were all litigation happy. At the time, people would say that everyone in Athens was a lawyer of some sort. And it was because that at the age of 60, you would have a full year of service where you served as a public arbitrator. So you would be on the dole, you would have to have some legal interaction as a public ar arbitrator. This is the system that Corinth's located in. Jewish people in that system did not, their jurisprudence all existed within the synagogue. So a Jewish person would not go before a secular court. One of the nice things about Rome and Greece was that they allowed for the self-governance of these different nations that they took over. It's why whenever we look at the prosecution of Jesus Christ, that it happens in the synagogue with religious leaders. And then when it comes to Pilate, he's like, what do you want? Send him to Herod. He sends them to the kingdom that he rules over so that they can go through that legal process. And ultimately, it's the Jewish people that choose to crucify Jesus. All that happens, remember, Pilate washes his hands of Jesus. And he does that because they allowed for that kind of self-governance to happen in their legal system. And so the Jews actually didn't use it at all. They would decide everything within the synagogue. But the Christians in Corinth, they're taking everything into the arbitration. Everything's going to the legal system. And the whole world's watching it, like the world is in the, not, not the church. They're watching it take place in the public. Now, one of the things that we have about the church that's really good, and I don't know what you do when your church is huge. Like, Southside's like family, right? Ultimately, I care about most of you like I would do my own family. And we have a family dynamic here. Um, I don't know if we have 3,000 members, how that works as much. It's just like you got to have a small group that's your family. A smaller family than this. But whenever... Uh, that we have that family dynamic, this is what was happening in the church in Corinth. 
in a family, if you have somebody that has expertise in a certain field and you need something done in that field, then you'll utilize them for it. So if you need a deck built and your nephew is a really good carpenter and you know he does good work and you're going to pay the money for the deck anyways, why would you not pay your nephew to build the deck? Um, likewise, if you have an uncle that's an attorney and you need a will drafted and he does wills, why would you not go to your uncle for the wills? This idea of like you're going to patronize as a customer, patronize businesses of family members that you care about. And the same thing happens within the church. That because if I'm going to spend this money anyways on a chicken basket, why would I not go buy it from Kanye, right? Or from, I don't know, Mars, do you sell chicken baskets? <laughs> there was this look of like, I invented chicken baskets. Um, yeah, why would I not go and buy it there? And so if I need carpentry work done, and I've got Philip, who's not here right now, but Philip's a really good carpenter. Um, why would I not utilize Philip? And so we, pay, we patronize one another. I hate the word patronize because now it means like puff somebody up and like something that's not real. But as a customer, we utilize people's businesses to support them. We get a good service out of them while at the same time supporting their business where they can like feed their family. We have a lot of expertise built into this church. I mean, we've got people from all sorts of backgrounds. So we have mechanics, we have carpenters, we have lawyers, we've got journalists, we've got university professors, we've got teachers, we've got medical staff, we've got nurses, um, we've got graphic design and computer gurus in the back. I know y'all are going to shirk at the computer guru thing, but the graphic design thing's legit. Um, all of these expertises are built into the church. Why would we not utilize that with one another and support one another in business? The question is, what happens when Philip, who's a really good carpenter, and I hate limiting Philip to just carpentry because he really can do everything. He can be like electrical, plumbing, sheetrock, everything. And he's a fantastic dancer. <laughs> no, <it's good. laughs> he does it all. Um, but if I use Philip to build out my, this deck and two years later it's rotting and falling in, what as a Christian now do I do? I paid him 4000 to build the deck. It's a big deck. Um, and now it's fallen in. And Philip says it's not his fault. It's the lumber company because he used treated lumber and did everything the way he was supposed to, but it's rotten because of the EPA standards of blah, 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 blah. What do we do now as two Christians that have this dispute? Paul says here that if I were to take Philip to court, that that is a straight-up sin. There's no way around it. It's a sin. He says that, why would you take him before lost people? The church can handle it. And if the church can't handle it, or Philip won't submit to the church's guidance, then why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? And so if Philip's going to take me, to, if I'm going to take Philip to court, it's just a straight-up sin. And so disputes that arise in the church, if we actually support one another this way, and listen, here's the sad truth of it. We're all so afraid of things going south, we don't support each other that way. Even in our own families. Back in the day, the family used to work that way. Where it's like, you know, my nephew's a really good carpenter. I'm going to use him to build this deck. And now you're like, my nephew's a really good carpenter, but I'm not going to use him to build this deck. Because I don't want us to have any type of disagreement that affects our family harmony, that it means that we don't get to get along anymore. And don't you see how now our litigious, argumentative nature 
is determining the steps that we have, like, that we take, the harmony that we have. And so for Philip, if that were to happen, then we could come to the church and I could say, listen, guys, y'all, let me just go ahead and throw this out there. I don't think this would ever happen. I've done work with Philip. He's incredible. He comes back and fixes. If he thinks something he did was subpar, he wouldn't, I couldn't keep him away from fixing it. He would fix it. Um, but if it were to happen, we could come before the church, not here, but come before church leaders and seek guidance from church leadership. And they would be able to say, hey, Philip, how much will it cost you to go in and repair this part to make it right? And he would likely say this, and then that's the solution right there. And I talked last week about how horrible litigation is. And if everybody could see the other side of it, they wouldn't do it. Um, there's an old story. I heard it here, so some of you have heard it too. But middle school, there's a real problem in the middle school where these sixth, seventh grade girls are putting on their lipstick in the mirror in the bathroom, and they kiss the mirror when they get done. To I don't know, there's something about it that gets the excess lipstick off and leaves the amount you want on. That's why people, my mom grew up like on paper. I don't see anybody do it anymore. I don't know if they've advanced lipstick technology, but at this middle school, they would put on their lip, lipstick, lip gloss, and they kiss the mirror and walk away from it. And so every day, the poor janitor's having to come in, and there's just dozens and dozens of lip prints on this mirror, and he's having to clean them off. They put signs up. They even put one kid in detention. Nothing would solve this problem, so finally, Miss Sanchez, the principal, comes into the classroom and says, hey, I, I want y'all to come here to the girls' bathroom. She brings one of the classes in there, and she says, I want you guys to see what Mr. Sanchez has to go through to clean up the mess y'all make every day. And so Mr. Sanchez, Mr. Sanchez, will you please show them how hard you have to work to clean this thing? <laughs> Mr. Sanchez comes in there, he takes that mop and the mop bucket, he goes and dips it over in that commode a few times. And then he goes and starts wiping that mirror down. Um, <clears throat> if you could see the process of cleaning up the dispute, you would avoid it. And if you could see the process of litigation, you would avoid it. It takes forever, and neither side, it's never a point where both sides come out happy where if there could have been some mediation where they remembered the important things, the spiritual heritage that they're both trying to leave, they would have worked it out. And so what we see is Paul saying, you're taking everything in front of the secular court, in front of secular people, and it all comes down, really, you want a secular motive. You have, we want secular results. And if that wasn't the case, then you would choose to be defrauded. So now the question comes up, can, is there ever a time where a Christian can sue a, a Christian? So let's go to Matthew 5. And as an attorney, I want to answer all these with yes. We can all sue each other all the time. But when we get to Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, it hurts my, it hurts my argument. All right, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. You have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. That's a pretty stringent standard. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, 
shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Therefore, if you are representing, I'm sorry, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. Just let's stop there for a second. Once again, I don't like, I'm, I'm, as an attorney, I don't like the standard because you lose business. But he give, but Jesus gives us the standard here of angry with a brother. Or coming to, an, coming to the altar to present an offering and remembering not that you have something against your brother, but that your brother has something against you. And you get ready to present that sacrifice, leave it, and go be reconciled to your brother. I don't know what situations Christians can get into where they get to get past all these standards into litigation. We're going to name a few in a second that are potential options, but what we have here is this principle. If you can reconcile, reconcile. Even if, it fe even if you're wronged, reconcile. Move on from it. If we pick back up in the next passage, it says in verse 23, therefore, if you are present, oh, sorry, verse 25, make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you be thrown into prison. If we go on to verse 38 in the same chapter, Jesus says, and this is what, if I was going to open up a personal injury office, I would have on the wall, eye for an eye justice, right? Um, or a prosecutor's office. Okay. Verse 38, if you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. You've heard it said, we're keep going, verse 43. You have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. We'll stop there. It's hard. It's hard to look at progressing a disagreement into court considering these passages. Here's where I think we can take a logical line. My dad, I'm sorry, I'm going to throw you under the bus here, because I think my dad used to tell us, the Bible says turn the other cheek, but you only got two cheeks. <laughs> um, and if he, if, he had taught, if he hadn't taught us to stand up at any point, then I don't know what kind of victimization could have happened in my lifetime. Mark Driscoll in this passage, he said, if Christians set themselves up as they're never going to sue anybody, then think about the mark that they just put on themselves for litigation. That you could do whatever to a Christian and they're just about going to always take it. MacArthur takes this other side, though. So John MacArthur says, ultimately, you just said God's going to handle it. So... Yeah, they're going to come after me 
from, I don't care. God will take care of it. And so the question, and I don't, y'all, I don't have a good answer. The question is, can a Christian ever sue another Christian? I'm going to throw out there, I don't think you can do it and it not be a sin. Unless, and I had these questions, so it's just follow-up questions. Is it something that God entrusted for you to handle? So your child. Um, I believe in like a custody dispute. These are times that Christians will be taken into court and if only a fool would not have an attorney and fight for the custody of their child when they know it's right. Um, I believe there's times where there are things that are worth fighting for, truth that's worth fighting for, and a narrative that shouldn't be told against you that you should be able to tell your side of the story of what actually happened. You should be able to prove it in court. So what we'll go to is this. If a Christian's going to sue another Christian, it's likely always a sin. Unless they've continually tried to reconcile, they've continually tried to turn the other cheek, and they're finally pushed in a place where they have to respond because God's entrusted them with a responsibility over somebody else or something else that they need to respond for. Yeah, it's funny because I listed a bunch of them, like custody, divorce, real estate, contracts. I don't think there's ever going to be a point where God's like, go sue them on that contract, Jerry. You need your just reward. Um, but all I'll say is as we pray and we walk with God and God will tell us what we need to do. So then the other question is, is it ever okay? Like, Paul doesn't say anything about non-Christians here. <laughs> so that, we just sue every non-Christian that wrongs us? Once again, we go back to Matthew 5, and we look where it says, do not resist an evil person. Um, I think we take the same principled stance here. Like, if we didn't resist an evil person, then Christians wouldn't have helped take out Hitler. And if we didn't object to unjust laws, then Christians would have never, ta they would have never taken their part, and it was an important, integral part in the civil rights movement of the 1960s. And so there are things that are worth fighting for, things that God calls us to stand up and fight for, truth that's worth fighting for, even when it's a non-Christian. What we get to ask ourselves is this, is this something that Jesus cares to fight for? I don't know how much Jesus cares about my property line. And that's why I put up a barbed wire fence. <laughs> um, so that way we don't have to litigate it. Uh, I don't know if Jesus cares about me recovering the difference in my contract dispute. I don't know if Jesus cares about a lot of different litigation things. But ultimately, each Christian needs to pray about it and ask, would, would Jesus sue for this? And that's why I came up with these bracelets. W-W. <laughs> okay, who would Jesus sue, right? <laughs> um, what we know is that Paul gives us times, like even Paul, the Apostle Paul, in Rome, he would argue as a citizen of Rome. He would use his legal standing as a citizen of Rome, and he would actually represent himself, and he would argue like an attorney. And there are times where we need to be able to argue like an attorney. And you need an attorney that can represent you. So pastor, y'all, this guy's from like, I think, uh, Eastern Europe. But uh, Pastor Arthur Pulowski and his brother in Canada, their church, 
kept meeting despite some of the COVID restrictions that would have had them not meeting at all. And him and his brother on their way back home from church in their suits, three-piece suits, vest. Um, and they're driving in the rain when an armored motorcade from, I don't know, it's like Alberta, Calgary, comes up, pulls them over, takes them out of the car, puts them on, it's in the rain, puts them on concrete, handcuffs them, drags them and puts them in a police vehicle, all because their church kept meeting despite some of the COVID restrictions. That's, I only have good Canadian cases. Um, Pastor James Coates, he's jailed for more than a month. At times a maximum, and both of these pastors, by the way, maximum security prisons in Canada, which I know we're thinking Canada, they're wimps, their maximum security is like a roped off area in a courtyard, I don't know. But it was maximum security, it was a big deal. Um, and Pastor Coates said this statement, he said, you know, I don't, he talked about not, he'd have any intent on being a political revolutionary. He said, I realize that's what the, what the society is going to perceive as what's happening here. But I'm simply here in obedience to Jesus Christ. And it's my obedience to Christ that has put me at odds with the law. Recently in our nation, in California, a federal judge just ruled that Governor Newsom's COVID restrictions violated people's religious, their religious freedom he ordered that the government in California pay $1.35 million to a local LA church because of the onerous lockdowns of COVID-19. We've had, and in that, in that case, in America, that pastor was threatened with daily, and church leaders were threatened with daily criminal charges and up to a year in prison because they chose to continue having church. That's in America. And that's also in a court decision, so it's fact that's been presented. There's some things worth fighting for. And if we were never supposed to sue each other, then the question would be, would, well, is there such a thing as a Christian attorney? Molly and I would strongly argue there is. <laughs> um, because there are freedoms worth fighting for. There's things that God's entrusted to us. And at the same time, Paul gives us this great example of if you've been placed in a nation with certain due process rights, you have the right to exercise that. Like you have the right to be able to have representation in government. You have the right to challenge a government that is too, is too restricting on your religious freedom. And so I think where we can land here, and this is what Paul's talking about, and it gets to where Matthew Henry was in his commentary on this chapter. Henry says, this is about frivolous lawsuits. He believed all the language and everything only talked about frivolous lawsuits, things that really didn't matter. And I think it's actually a pretty healthy line to draw, that these were, wait, you what, you're not going to pay me that money? Okay, well, I'll see you in court. Y'all, Ethan's not in here, but it's really cute, because when I graduated from law school, he took a lot of pride in my ability to sue somebody. He's like, my dad's going to sue you, you're so sued. Um, but he didn't tell anybody that, he would just say it around the house. Um, it would be like if I was an Olympic wrestler, like, my dad's going to chokehold you. But it was about the law. And I'd have to tell him, like, hey, you don't sue everybody for everything. And th this is what I think Paul's getting at. Frivolous lawsuits, goofy stuff that doesn't matter, get rid of it. It's better to be wronged. It's better to be defrauded. It's better to keep the cross as the most important thing that we consider. And y'all, since we're not all suing each other here, I don't think we've had a lawsuit the past 20-something years here, um, 
since we're not suing each other, we can take it upstream and think about our heart. Think about how we, quickly we get into disputes. But as far as us in, in the litigation side, it's about the frivolous stuff. And walking with Jesus helps us remember to not dwell on the frivolous things. The last thing I'll say is this, because I want to talk about insurance companies. <laughs> um, first off, this is going to be mind-blowing, and I know we're going just a little long. Um, Allstate, who I hate. I've been wronged. Their quarterly profit, so from January 1st to March 31st in 2021, was $6.17 billion. And that sounds like a lot of money. But that was a 41% increase from the previous quarter a year before. And if you're thinking, well, that's because COVID happened. No, before that, 2020 was an increase over the year before, 2019. And Allstate's 12-month gross profit, the 12 months uh, that ended on March 31st of 2021, was $21.7 billion. The national insurance, all national insurance companies combined in 12 months, in 2019, in property and casualty insurance, they had $637.7 billion in gross profit. Including life insurance and annuities, $1.32 trillion. And I know you're all like, well, we don't care. <laughs> but a few things there. Don't treat them like they're the Salvation Army. <laughs> and don't treat them in a way that you're not a Christian. So first off, I don't know, I grew up at home, I was like, you don't sue. Like, and John MacArthur tells a story about him getting hit by like a commercial bus. Him and his wife get hit by a commercial bus. And the insurance agent comes in bullying him. Like, I'm gonna, we're gonna fight this. We're not gonna offer you much. And John MacArthur responds with, listen, I got a friend that could put the bumper back on. And you know, you're looking at maybe $200. And the guy was like, really, 200? Okay, and like wrote a check for 350. Like, you may need 150 more. Um, but all of that so that the insurance company can make a bunch of money, it feels weird. They're for-profit, they're not non-profit, they have very much commercial interest at heart. Um, so about insurance companies, this is where we get to stand. Insurance companies have a contractual agreement. They enter in to make you whole in the case of an accident or something happening to you. I don't believe there's anything wrong if you've prayed about it and if you're telling the truth to hold them to their contractual agreement. Now, this is just me. This isn't spirit-filled necessarily. I don't know. What is spirit-filled is the idea that you need to walk with Jesus to be able to make that decision. Um, and maybe I've watched too many Morgan & Morgan commercials, but I do think some of the injuries that people experience in these car accidents are long-lasting, and they never got any kind of payment or consideration for it. So just throwing that out there. But the danger is, and what we see, I think, in today's church is what Paul said. Remember, he doesn't just say, why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? He says, you actually, right now, you are defrauding people. You're wronging people. What they were doing was they were taking them to court to get something that was unjust out of them. So at the same time that the insurance company, I think, should be bound to uphold their side of the contract, we have to do the same. And we don't look at the Richard Schwartz commercial and think, wow, he got $537,000 for that person. What am I going to get? Somebody step in my arm. <laughs> um, 
we don't look at it as a cash payout. We take an honest, principled approach in how we do it, and we pray and ask God for guidance throughout. And then there's times where I may even go to the church and say, hey, you guys tell me, what do you think I should do here? Ultimately, it all comes down to where our heart's at, what God's doing in our heart. Greed, sinful pride, all of these things will complicate a dispute like that. Where I want more money, so I'm going to go and hire an attorney, and I'm going to say I have problems that I really don't have or I had before the accident. Um, or I know that they would rather settle this out of court for a lot less than it's going to take for them to pay to go to trial over it. So I'm going to push a frivolous lawsuit, and I'm going to get money out of this corporation. God's called us to be honest. He's called us to be principled. He's called us, listen, to be forgiving. He's called us to be gracious. And what he does in that passage, remember, we said it last week, in the last two verses that we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he lists off all these laundry lists of sins, all of which we committed. Like, everybody's like, I feel wrong. I'm a reviler. I don't know if that's reviler, right? Um, I'm a reviler, and I feel like Paul's picking on me. No, he picked on everybody. Like he said this about everybody. He puts us all together that we had to be forgiven by Jesus. And if we can remember that grace, that forgiveness that Jesus showed us, it'll help us in interacting with the world. And ultimately this, in our lifetime, there's going to be things that are a lot more or a lot less important than that. The gospel in our heart, the gospel in our families, the gospel in our friendships, the gospel in our church, the gospel in our work, the gospel in our community, the gospel in our city, the gospel in our state and nation. It's worth more. It's why when there were government orders to wear a mask, you wore a mask. Because it wasn't worth fighting for. There are some things, though, that are worth fighting for. We have to walk with Jesus to be able to tell the difference. All right, so let's just stand up and pray. Jesus, thank you, Lord, that your books are practical. God, you address all sorts of different stuff. Lord, you address really simple things like going to court. Lord, what happens when we argue? And God, the reason that you did that was because you knew that the sinful flesh in us would rise up at times and it would want, to, it would want its way and it would just beat down the spiritual side of us, God, and we would take our own approach and, Lord, people would get hurt and ultimately we would get hurt. But God, you work in our heart. You change our heart. And Lord, where we normally would have fought, now, Lord, we turn the other cheek. God, normally where we would go and hire the most powerful attorney to challenge this, God, now we give them our tunic, we give them our coat, we give them our shirt. Because, God, you told us there are things that are more important than the clothes on our back. Lord, there's things that are more important than a little bit of pain. God, and that's your gospel. That's the work that you're doing in our heart. Lord, if you've started something in someone's heart today, God, I pray that they'll, they'll continue on and be obedient to you. Lord, that they need to come up here for prayer. Lord, they need to be saved. Lord, they need to become a member. Lord, they just need to repent of a few things. God, they need you to change their heart. Lord, this is their time. So God, we thank you for this opportunity. And we pray this all in your holy name, Jesus. Amen.